Hi, everyone. Welcome to Arthritis Broadcast Network, hashtag C-Arthritis event. Uh, we are a week or two out from the just recently held Canadian Rheumatology Association and Arthritis Health Professions Association annual scientific meeting. But that doesn't mean we can't keep interviewing very important people who attended. And in this case, uh, we're so happy to have Dr. Fiona Rall um, in the studio. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, Dr. Rall, I'm, I'm going to introduce you to the audience, and then we're going to have a quick conversation about um, your area of expertise, maybe some of the things that you talked about at the meeting, uh, and actually anything you want to talk about with the audience. I think they're going to be very fascinated uh, to hear from you. So without further ado, let me give them a brief bit uh, of a bio on yourself. So um, to the audience, uh, Dr. Rall has a PhD in pathology and molecular medicine and is a professor in the teaching stream in the Department of Biology at the University of Toronto, Mississauga. She is also the Associate Dean of the Pedagogical, uh, Ped Pedagogical Development, pardon me, and Scholarship. Um, so clearly someone who has a huge uh, area of expertise and not someone who comes from the rheumatology or the arthritis community, but rather spends her days researching um, on public understanding of science and particularly combating science uh, misinformation, the science of learning, and how we can learn from failure. I love that. I, I Sadly, I fail a lot in the, some of the things I do. And you fail, it's okay to fail if you learn from it, right? Absolutely. So welcome to the studio. We're so, so excited um, to have you. And uh, we look forward to diving right in. So apart from what I've just shared with the audience, uh, Dr. Rawl, is Rawl or Rawl A? No, you're absolutely right. Rall. It's Rawl. Okay, perfect. Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself. And, and though I know you're not embedded in rheumatology, I, I, everything you do, I think it has a lovely intersect with all different types of disease communities. So maybe um, tell us a little bit about the area of science that you are uh, expert in and, mm -hmm. and what you think the linkages are with rheumatology. Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. So personally, I have a lot of connections with the RA community because I have several family members who have RA and, wow. and they were diagnosed when I was quite young. And so I feel like I've had some connections through them and hearing about their experience for a really long time. Yeah. But professionally, my research focuses on public science communication and especially science misinformation. How do we identify misinformation? Why do we sometimes fall prey to misinformation and then how can we connect that? I'm so interested in how ideas start and how ideas spread. And when it comes to misinformation, it's actually a really interesting story as to how it starts and how it spreads. And this can apply to any disease context. And we've been talking specifically about the RA context, specifically with uh, treatments and remedies for that. Yeah, you know, and it's this is such a current topic because of the pandemic experience, we're st still in the pandemic experience, um, because of the vaccination myths that were so pervasive and continue to be pervasive. And those myths actually, they well predated the pandemic. 
myths around science have existed, I don't know, from the beginning of time, perhaps. Um, Absolutely. You look at the origin of the word misinformation, and they were writing about science misinformation, viral misinformation, way back in the 1918 flu pandemic, and even before that with different measles outbreaks. So misinformation is not a new thing. It's important that we can understand that, but it does feel like a bit of a different beast now that we have the internet and social media. So where does a where is the very epicenter of a, of, of a piece, if I could call it that, of misinformation? So it's important to think about it sort of along a continuum. It is normal for us not to know things. It is normal to have knowledge gaps. So we might have a knowledge gap where we're not aware about a certain subject. Or we might believe in misinformation where something has been said that's incorrect and, and, and we believe that. And then there is disinformation. So disinformation is information that's wrong, that's being spread on purpose. And so there's more of a malintent for that. And that is also all around us. So it's important to recognize it's normal not to know things. There can't be stigma around knowledge gaps. No one knows everything. And we need to admit when we don't know something. But when you have those knowledge gaps, sometimes they can be filled with misinformation or disinformation. Yeah, so someone takes it to kind of mind control the way a group of people think about something that's not actually true and they do it intentionally. Right. Absolutely. We see this term come across our computer screens and we hear it at meetings a lot and it's pseudoscience. So what is, give us that definition of pseudoscience and how can consumers, lay people, patients, people out on the street, how can we kind of what, what kind of signs do we look for that make up pseudoscience? We go, oh, that's pseudoscience. Give us some of the clues that lead to that. That's such an important question. So pseudoscience, the root for pseudo means false. So the word itself means false science. It could be sensationalized science. It could be exaggerated science, or it could be science misinformation. It can take so many different shapes or forms, um, but there are some key cornerstones of it that you can be aware of. And this might not mean that is definitely pseudoscience, but it means you should pause and think about what you're reading. So so these warnings, they're warnings to pause. And a phrase we use that we find really helpful is false case. And if we go through all of those letters, it'll highlight things that you should think of. So the F is for feelings. When you look at something, what feeling does it give you? Does it immediately lead to feelings of discomfort or feelings of alarm? When you look at pseudoscience, it's often framed in a way that leads to feelings of alarm and of panic. The next word is for false case is author. Who wrote this? Can you figure out who the author is? If you can't, and if you can't even figure out the organization behind it, that can be a red flag that it's related to pseudoscience. The next is language. What language are they using? Are they using really big sciencey sounding words that make it hard to interpret? Are they using inflammatory language? So pay attention to the words that you're reading. The S is for source. Where is the source? Are you looking at this in a newspaper, in a magazine, on a website, on Facebook? Can you figure out what the source is? Is that a trustworthy source? And then the E is for exclusive or secret. So have you ever seen something where it says, this is top secret, only you know, this is an exclusive finding, only you know. 
So studies that we've done have, have shown that that word is more likely to be attached to pseudoscience than it is to meaningful and well-practiced science. So that's false. Yeah. Feeling, author, language, source exclusive. Got it. So let me get in, get into case. Okay. The C is the claim. What are they claiming? Can you identify what the claim is? All claim needs evidence. So do they present evidence for that claim? So C is for claim. A is for agenda. Do the people writing this or the organization writing this, do they have an agenda? Everyone has an agenda. <laughs> Let's be really clear about that. Yeah. But can you figure out what it is? Like my agenda is trying to support folks in identifying good science information and science misinformation so that folks can make their own decisions. That's, I'll be totally open. That's my agenda. Everyone has an agenda. Can you see what it is? S stands for scheme or conspiracy. So have you ever seen advertisements or memes that say, no one wants to, you to know it's a scheme. They're keeping this information from you. If there's that framing, it's more likely to be pseudoscience. And then the E in case stands for everything is cured. This one thing will cure absolutely everything. And that's another thing that you often see with pseudoscience. And yes, getting good sleep, getting good exercise, trying to decrease stress, eating fruit and vegetables, those things do tend to improve outcomes. But when it comes to pseudoscience or marketing a pill or something else, if they say it cures everything, your alarm bells should go on. So yeah. we can just recap. So for false case, you have feelings, the author, language, the source, it's exclusive, claim, agenda, scheme, and everything. We could talk about this for several hours. Uh, no those kidding. are key words to think of. No kidding. That is brilliant. I love when we can break things down and turn them sort of into acronyms. And, and it just gives people a sort of a methodical way of examining a piece of information. Yeah, and absolutely. whether it's that, as you say, misinformation or disinformation. Um, when we talk about pseudoscience, a lot of it's very effective, sadly. You know, the people who propagate, especially in health, this pseudoscience, have been effective in doing it, especially in arthritis, uh, Fiona. There's been research that's shown the big purchasers of over-the-counter remedies are people living with arthritis. We are a billions of dollars marketplace. How do you, as a clinician and a patient, we come together in arthritis all the time. It's a lifelong disease. There are no cures yet. I like to keep the glass half full attitude. Um, how, what do you suggest as a way of communicating around between patient and physician or healthcare provider around questionable sources of information because it becomes a bit contentious and patients actually turn around and say, well, they don't believe in this thing I believe in. So I'm leaving their care. I mean, those to me, that's a really tragic outcome mm -hmm. of pseudoscience or of disinformation. Mm -hmm. And then to some degree, I guess, misinformation. How do you address that? How, like, what are your, if you have any recommendations for our audience, what might they be? That's so important. That's such a thoughtful question. Yeah. I think it's really important to recognize the relationship is key. So the relationship between patient and clinician or, or practitioner, that that's a relationship that has to be based on trust. 
Right. So when you're having discussions, it can't just be discussions about pseudoscience or misinformation. There has to be trust across all discussions. And one aspect of that is recognizing that everyone falls prey to misinformation. And so there can't be any stigma and blame associated with it. We have to normalize the fact that misinformation is out there and and some of us might believe different things, but then we can have honest discussions about what is there evidence for? Does the evidence support X or Y? And so if someone's really interested in a certain thing, you can be able to say, well, there isn't any evidence yet that supports that working, but there is evidence for X or Y working. Oh, I love the other thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and so we need to normalize making mistakes. We make mistakes every single day. And if we can normalize talking about misinformation and course correcting, that's really where the key is. And so I would just highlight the importance of not having stigma or blame and then highlighting uh, where is the evidence? Can we look at evidence that, that this helps or evidence of efficacy? Yeah. You know, this communication and the relationship piece, they're obviously, they are hand in glove. They can't have really one without the other. Um, and they, and it takes time to have a good relationship and to have good communication. And then we juxtapose that with the lack of time healthcare providers have. You know, we open the, our computers every day, Dr. Rollin, we read about how stressed the healthcare system is. And it comes back on people like me, a patient. And so I then am a bit more leery to even raise things because I already know the physician is slammed for time. Um, But I still have the time. I still have the desire to have the conversation, which creates tension. It's a natural tension in that relationship from the beginning of the appointment. So I get, I'm not expecting you to have the answer. I'm not expecting you to solve all the uh, ills of the healthcare system, but how do we deal with that tension that this type, the very type of communication to build good relationship that you point out and to address things like misinformation, disinformation, pseudoscience, how do we get at that if we just don't have the time? We're all stretched for time. Yeah. And I would say that building a connection and a relationship, the face-to-face aspect is just one aspect of building that relationship. It's so important that there can be tools and resources that you can place in each other's hands to then explore and then come back to to that. And that's something we're trying to do with our work. So with the false case work and with other work is to try to figure out what tools are actually helpful. What tools can you actually pass from person to person that can help just nudge the needle a little bit in terms of detecting misinformation. So I would probably highlight that, that the the face-to-face aspect is only one aspect of a broader relationship that can counter this. Okay, that's great. We're going to give some resources, by the way, at the end of our conversation here so that folks can continue their learning experience on this topic. Um, I want to sort of wrap up our conversation. We, you and I can talk for hours. I already get that impression. I hope you do too. Um, Absolutely. So uh, is there anything that you can share with the audience that might help us just day to day? The false case and just telling us about your area of expertise is so important because it's not talked about. So um, what else could you share with us that might have a tangible effect 
on our day-to-day living with our disease? I think, I think it's so important to acknowledge that we are living in an age of overwhelm. We are bombarded by advice and good information and misinformation. And they've done research on to-do lists and they show that to-do lists are much longer now than they were really? 20, 30 years ago. And so we are, we are living in an age of overwhelm. And so I think it's important whenever we listen to advice or we take advice, we, we need to be realistic about how that will land in this age of overwhelm. And so when we talk about thinking critically about claims, et cetera, it's really important that we can do that. And that takes time and that takes energy and, and cognitive space. But one thing that you can do is, is have a network you can trust. And this is something that you're involved in, in establishing. Yep. But if you have sources of information and networks that you can trust so that you can feel safe in that space, and that can help to decrease this feeling of overwhelm. I think that's really important. So I would first go, go to networks you can trust, and then you can think about being critical about claims that you hear. That's really, really good advice. We're going to offer some resources that might connect people to those circles of trust if they don't already have them. Um, we want to thank you so much for coming into the studio today, Dr. Rollins, sharing your expertise and insights with our audience. I, I'm going to promise our audience that we're going to uh, we're going to tease you back into the studio and spend more time with you and perhaps conduct a webinar maybe on this topic. Absolutely. It's so it's so rich. We're just nibbling at the corners, I suspect, um, of all the things that we might need to know in the world of information sort, as I call it. Um, and, and knowing, learning how to discern good from bad, misinformation from disinformation, from pseudoscience or, or all of the uh, above um, is so critical when we talk about health literacy. You know, information is what we use to sort of weigh the pros and cons and then take a decision that we then are going to act on. I mean, that basically is, that's our lay definition of health literacy. Mm -hmm. And unless we can assess the information we're using to make those decisions, consider them and then make them or take them. Um, we really can't get at that improved health state that we're so longing for in, in arthritis. Right, absolutely. Thank you for the discussion today. Thank you so much for coming in and you have a great rest of week and we will see you again, I promise. And thank you to our audience uh, for coming in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of um, Hashtag C Arthritis as part of the just recently held Canadian Rheumatology Association and Arthritis Health Professions Association meeting. We'll see you again soon.